Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson and Michael Grumbine. You know, it's a, it's a good thing we have that intro every week just because I always forget I have to silence my phone and stuff before doing the podcast. <laughs> uh, so I always do that right in the middle of the intro. Hey, everybody. It's like a, like a, like a church, right? You get there and you're like, oh, no, before anybody yep. calls me. Cell phone's off. It off. Yep. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> I astute <laughs> listeners will notice that sometimes I do not do that. I've, I've been known a couple of mm-hmm. times to have the phone interrupt, um, but That's you okay. know, just twice in one. the last, in the last year and a half, it's not too it's bad, not bad, I guess. It's not bad at all. It's not bad. <clears throat> That's what I tell uh, them. It? No, it's, it's fine. I can tell you that too. Even if it was interrupted, Hey, we fly by the seat of our pants here. We're not going to actually worry about if we get interrupted or not. We'll just leave it in. That's right. I don't need to edit it. We are finishing the unfinished tale. Can we say that? <laughs> I, I was wondering where you were going to go with that. <laughs> like awkward pause. We are finishing the unfinished tale of Aldarion and Arendus, the Mariner's wife, today. Uh, although this isn't the last episode. We're going to have one more episode where we will truly finish the unfinished tale. I'm going to come up with what I think might be an, an interesting approach to this. And I'm going to do it in the way of, uh, it, you know... If this were a five or six season TV show, what would be what would each season be, uh, and what's the start, and what what are we ending on, so that we can kind of have a view of of this this entire tale? Nice, uh, very so fancy. We'll, we will we will go over that next week. Um, that should be kind of fun. That's kind of a big. I feel very responsible doing that. I feel very like the the pressure of that. And I'm not going to be, I, I'm never going to claim I wrote the story Tolkien never wrote. In fact, this is probably not what Tolkien would have written. But however, I will try to hew as closely to the notes that he has, knowing that those notes are sometimes in opposition to each other. And, you know, we have to figure out what that means exactly. Uh, and they're not, I'm not going to go into detail about like, okay, it's going to be six seasons with seven episodes. And each episode looks like this. No, I'm going to have like a paragraph or so about each season and where it goes. And we can kind of shoot the breeze about that and figure out like, what, what did I get wrong? Where should it have gone? Things like that. So that, I think that'll be fun. That will be fun. And that'll be a new thing for us. And if people like it a lot, maybe we'll continue it in other unfinished tales when we read them. Because yeah. one of the things, like you were saying, Jonathan, that I think is really important, especially in the age of the rings of power that we have now, the much, much ballyhooed and much mocked rings of power, mm-hmm. um, is, is that these are, as the name implies on the book, the unfinished tales, right? So mm-hmm. these are the ones that Tolkien, that never made it, even into the Silmarillion, even they weren't in, even in enough enough of uh, complete form for Christopher to um, weave them <clears throat> completely into the Silmarillion, and definitely never made it into the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings. So we're, but we, as as y'all who have been following us know, in our what was it six episode? Was it? Did we do take to six episodes for uh, on fairy stories or eight? I think it was I six. Um, so in our six episodes on, on fairy stories, which we believe to be the heart of why Tolkien explaining what the writing of fantasy is all about and what makes it special, um, he loves the art of subcreation. And what better to do with an unfinished tale than give it an ending? Um, and like you said, Jonathan, we're not going to presume that our ending is better than his. In fact, I will presume that it will not be better than the one he would have written. But but we nor are we presuming that this is what he should have written. 
Um, but we're going to just take a hand at following his themes, following his philosophy, and definitely following staying as true to his world as we can, mm -hmm. and then see where does that go? Where does that art of subcreation go? So it's a little yeah. different, a bit of an episode coming up next week. But yeah. first. Well, 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 but it's a good thing, right? We'll have the Protestant version, which is mine, and then the Catholic can come in and fix all my problems. <laughs> That's right. Get back to the real source. Uh, and what's cool is if we do this right, we can have Google Gemini generate for us uh, an entire video based on it, and it'll look something like that. Yep. You know, yeah, that's right. No, it's uh, no white people. That's 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 no, what no we'll uh... Any, anywhere in Tolkien's world. Okay, we can't get into Google Gemini. However, if you haven't heard about Google Gemini, just look up Google Gemini Pope, and and uh, you'll you'll find some pretty funny things that it did. Google Gemini, their their AI image generator and other stuff, which they've had to shut down because it did some untoward things towards an entire group of well just rewriting history in any case guys we are going to jump into this end of this however before we do guys we do have members and i want to shout out the latest members we had over the last couple weeks including now these names i didn't make up these names they made up these names so so for instance like we had the members that joined like cal the radical fairy witch that's great <laughs> zod zod joined now yeah. i don't i don't know where non and ursa are um <laughs> But I guess Superman defeated the two of them, and he went back to the... Uh, if I don't have before Zod, then I'm fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, so, uh, so uh, yeah, those are the latest two members, I believe, that joined us. And so, shout out to them. There are a couple others. Athanasium, well, I believe, and uh, Arthur Shelley. Arthur Shelley? Is that your full name, Arthur? Sorry if I just really realized your name, but I'm just reading names off of Discord. Guys, thanks for joining us. There are other members who've joined who haven't joined Discord. So if, you've, if you're a member... And you've gone to the onering.com slash member and you've joined, but you haven't joined Discord, just click the account link at the top right of the site uh, and then scroll down to the bottom and click connect to Discord in order to connect your account to Discord and get access to our different member channels for everybody. You can become a member, the onering.com slash member. Uh, it's $4 a month. First month is free. Or if you want to do more like Harrison and Adam and Lynn and Rich, uh, they go above and beyond and support us even more. And so we appreciate their membership as sponsors. We do $20 a month. So thanks guys. We really appreciate that. Just, just uh, do it guys. Just do it. Insert Shia LaBeouf meme here. Do it. Do it. <laughs> You're really dating yourself. That's years old now. Years old. Yep. Gotta find oh, something. you have no idea. If you I can date myself <laughs> to all sorts of decades. <laughs> Not to be oh mentioned. man. Um, all right. So we're, we're going to read. The very first paragraph, as we get into Aldari Narratives, the very first paragraph of this section, which is called The Further Course of the Narrative, because this is not the narrative. The narrative is what we just read. This is the what was previous here is what Tolkien actually wrote. This here is now from notes and other places he could find information about Aldarian and Aridus. Uh, and so I'm going to read this first paragraph and we're going to talk a little bit about it because it's a it's a it's a look into how Tolkien actually wrote things. Um, so let me, okay, so so this is the first paragraph of this section. From the point, and, and Christopher Tolkien wrote this. Christopher Tolkien wrote this when he came up with uh, this story out of all of Tolkien's notes at the end here. From the point where Aldarion read the letter from Erendis refusing to return to Armenlis, the story can only be traced in glimpses and snatches from notes and jottings. And even those do not constitute the fragments of a wholly consistent story being composed at different times and often at odds with themselves. And this is kind of the way that, that Tolkien wrote. He didn't sit down and outline an entire story and then say, now I'm going to write the story. When thoughts of these characters and, and, and the places became 
forefront in his mind when when a thought struck him, he would just write it down. Right? You can look at his notes that to- that Christopher Tolkien's published. It's like there are things in the sidelines and and like in newspapers where he wrote things down and drew pictures of like things in Middle Earth. Wherever he was, whatever the 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 muse struck him, that's that's when he wrote it down. And so these notes and jottings about Aldarion and Erendis, that's why they're at odds with themselves because sometimes he would think one thing, another times another time he would think another thing about a certain character. This is why even Galadriel changed over the entire course of the narrative or, or narrative of, of Middle-earth. Or, for instance, dwarves were originally sort of evil characters that worshipped Morgoth and eventually became to what we know them as dwarves because it kept changing for him. He kept honing the world into the vision uh, that his mind was making for him. So uh, so this here is even, like you said, they, they said it's at odds. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about the three main characters of this here, Aldarion, Erendis, and Ankalime, their daughter. Right, and and as Jonathan said, when we because of how fragmentary everything is, we'll just take one character at a time and tell you everything that um, Tolkien, all the fragments that he wrote about that character. I think we should finish with Ancali May. Um, so maybe start with um, Aldarion and Arendis because Ancali yeah. May is the result. Like most of the notes in this section are about Ancali May, their daughter, and so we should we and, and it really li- is. Uh, essentially a sins of the father are visited on, on mm-hmm. the generations, you know, That's very true. in this case, the sins of the father and the mother um, are visited upon, upon their future generations because their daughter is, is really a kind of, I, I, I hope people don't take this the wrong way, but it's the internet. So they probably will. So <laughs> I did that right as Jonathan's drinking water, just to see if I can get him to spit it out. No, I'm calling me is, is a kind of uh, familial dead end in this. In in this, I mean, mm. she she technically isn't a dead end. She has a son, um, but you know, from a from a hereditary perspective. But in terms of her life, her life is essentially defined by the sins of her parents. So mm. why don't we start with her parents? You want to take Aldarion or Arendis? Uh I'll take Aldarion. We'll start with him. Go for it. Uh, so Aldarion, as soon as he became, he, he becomes king, he's like, I'm going back to Middle Earth. <laughs> it's like I, I can make the decisions now and i'm on the i'm, I'm on my way back and of course right. that's probably also due to the letter that he received uh from gilgalad about w- what was actually going on and finding out that it's actually sauron and not uh some some evil kings of men that was the problem um but what's most interesting i think about about this part is it doesn't give us a whole lot of information on aldarion here really only what three four paragraphs or something like that right uh but what's interesting in a kind of a you know, like an offhand comment is uh <laughs> is what what Tolkien wrote probably in a jotting somewhere. Uh, it is known that he, Aldarion, went much on land as well as sea and went up the river Gwathlo as far as Tharbad and there met Galadriel, um, which, let me bring up, uh, let me bring up the video here. But if we look, we look here, right? This is Vinyalanda. I believe this is... Uh, Let's see, where is Tharbat? I believe, isn't it right in here? Vinyalande, this is the Guathlo, I believe. And then meets them right in here in uh, Tharbat. So, yep. Oh, sorry, you can't really see it, but it's uh, like right there. Um, Yeah, so I, I just love that they, they met, but we like he had an idea here, right? That, that something hit him. He's like, oh, he met Galadriel and Kelborn. And this would be, who knows exactly when, because they didn't give a date, and it could have been in the years. I think Sauron revealed himself, or Sauron was, went to Mordor in year one thousand. I want to say, and his last trip to his last trip to Middle Earth was in nine eighty three or nine eighty five. I think 
right. and so 15 years but so at this point right th- what does that mean does that mean that there might have been some skirmishes with sauron probably right maybe why else would he be meeting with galadriel and Celeborn in 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 tharbad where like they were building austin ethel the uh uh, the the elven stronghold. So there's, I, I love that. Like th- this one phrase brings a lot of opportunity to a greater story, which we'll talk about next week too. Um, but even though in all this here, right, we have that all the labors, uh, Tolkien wrote, all Aldarian's labors were swept away. The works that began at Vindilande were never completed and the sea not at them. Now we don't know how many years this took or if this just means in the future, it was completely gone, like in the years between now and uh, Sauron's full reveal, and what, the year 1500-something uh, in the Second Age. Um, but it's, it's, it, it shows like they're, they're, they're setting the, the, the final things that he's doing is kind of setting the wheels in motion for Sauron to make a move. And I, I want to thank uh, Harrison in our chat for bringing up this quote from the unfinished tales in the story of Kelborn and Gladriel. Uh, and this is, uh, I can't, I don't have the exact page. It's, uh, the history of Gladriel and Kelborn. Let me read this. The building of the chief city of Eregion, Austin Ethel was begun in about the year 750 of the second age. News of these things came to the ears of Sauron and increased the fears that he felt concerning the coming of the Numenorians to Linden and the coasts, Further south, Linden coasts further south, right? Coming, uh, coming like down yep. around down there. Yep. <clears throat> and he heard tell also of Aldarion, son of Tar Meneldor, the king of Numenor, now become a great shipbuilder who brought his vessels to Haven far down into the Harad. Sauron therefore left Eriador alone for a while. And he chose the land of, land of Mordor as it was afterwards called for a stronghold as the counter to the threat of the Numenorean landings. This is dated circa year 1000 in the tale of years. When he felt himself to be secure, he sent emissaries to Mordor. And finally, about the year 1200, the second age, he came himself wearing the fairest form that he could contrive, which we now know as Halbrand. I mean, Anatar. So, Halbro. Halbro. Yep. <laughs> Halbro. Halbro. Um, yeah, I just yeah. love that there's so much around this, right? This this line, this paragraph together with, hey, they met Gladiol and Celeborn. Like, there's a whole story about what Aldarion does in those last hundred years going to Middle Earth and back. And uh, a story, a story yeah. that we don't, we don't know the details of it. It'd be really cool to see. Um, interesting that Tolkien talks about his all of his works being swept away, um, mm-hmm. but in a way, yes, and in a way, no. Right. So there's two senses of his works. One is the physical, um, you know, actual havens that he built, and apparently those are swept away. But then the second legacy that he has is the legacy of the maritime empire that he is setting in motion for mm-hmm. Numenor, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. does not get swept away. In fact, it grows and grows. Um, Interestingly enough, although I would not rely upon the conf- the confluence or congruence, rather, of the two timelines that I'm about to mention, but in the quote you just read, there's a bunch of um, Numenorean landings around Harad, um, in the havens of Harad, uh, uh, 1,000. That would be during the realm of Ancalime. We're going to get to that a little later. That would mm-hmm. be during the reign of Ancalime. And so... Uh, and so that doesn't jive with other notes that Tolkien's taking because it says that Uncle, he says that Uncle Amy had really had no interest in, in the, the travels that her father had and, and Middle Earth. So 
either there's some other people that you know the, the guild of uh venturers or murder hobos is either going to middle earth and establishing things without her or mm-hmm. um or this is just a, a different he would have had to decide before he put this into this tale into this final version which of those two paths which was the real one in the history so so interesting to me because you see like two different threads of his thought one is what I view as the macro sort of strategic thread of the grand history of Numenor and its interaction with Middle Earth. And then the other thread is the very close and intimate and sad history of the the uh, family of Aldarian and Arendis. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in the two timelines, they don't quite jive in that detail. But it, uh, as you mentioned, it's, there's other places where this happens too. His treatment of Galadriel herself is also mm-hmm. has that character in a couple of diff- his different tales, where she is doing different things at the s- exact same time, depending on which yeah. timeline you're following or which tale, unfinished tale you're following. Of, but, of- but there's so little information about what what Galadriel is doing right now. Right? We really only have these couple of lines. There's not. There's no details around all this, and so it makes R- it very right. I like I like the version where she stays in Aragian. And yes, and, uh, she's not in rules with Celeborn. Agreed. She's not the commander of the Northern Armies. I just every week <laughs> I have to end up bringing that in. I don't What's even interesting consider that, aver- that aversion. <laughs> but, no, uh, yeah, that's not, it's not, it's not, it's a, yeah. Uh, the, the line at the end of this one paragraph about Eldarion's labors being swept away is his ventures remained a small people admired, but little emulated. And that's almost a hint of being like, okay, right now they're small, but eventually this guild of ventures, uh, it becomes larger and they become, maritime power that they ended up being uh, but it's it's that you know the seeds of discontent were what aldarion sowed and and from now on right they, they become a far greater power uh throughout i mean probably the greatest power in middle earth right and i, and I don't want to i, I want to keep hold of the fact that the glory of numenor by itself is not a bad thing mm-hmm. as a bulwark mm-hmm. against evil Gilgalad says that he talks about how he's going to need the Numenorians, the the men. He needs them not just to translate from from other races of men and help the elves connect with other men on Middle Earth, but he he needs them in the fight against Sauron. And um and so in that sense, the expansion and the maritime glory that that the Numenorians develop is not a wholly a corruption it's not you know we we see signs of how it is a kind of corruption for example this this um the one thing that you did not mention that i uh, or maybe you did not mention it did you re- read about the oil lyre um the fact that he i did not yeah the hardest okay. word to pronounce in all tokens <laughs> yeah it is recorded that on the prow this is when he sets out on his journey suit in 883 it is recorded that on the prow of the Hirelonde, he set no bow of oil lyre but the image of an eagle with golden beak and jeweled eyes, which was the gift of Cierden. It perched there by the craft of its maker, as if poised for flight unerringly to some far mark that it espied. Quote, this sign shall lead us to our aim, he said. For our return, let the Valar care, if our deeds do not displease them. So he shifted from a, I beseech the Valar through this Oyolaire branch, to watch over my journey to um the outward part of the journey is my own it's the eagle and and what's interesting this is a gift from the elves right so it's not an a corruption pure and simple but it is a shift mm-hmm. away from the reliance upon the the protection of the valar to sort of taking your own 
um, you know, you know, going under your own strength, so to speak, and and then you know leaving the uh, care of your return to the Valar. Um, so so he's kind of like halfway, like going out is my own, returning is the Valar, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's that's a kind of it's a kind of diminishment of their relate of his uh, the Numenorians' relationship to the Valar. And a and an and a growth of their own reliance on their themselves and the strength of their arms, yeah. and so and so it's an interesting, but nevertheless that strength is needed in Middle Earth. Um, it's no surprise that uh, he, he Kierden was the one who taught him to build ships, and so if Kierden mm-hmm. gives him a gift like that eagle, and of course, which harkens in a way to the eagles of Manway, and I'm sure that that would have been discussed between them. True. He probably sees that Kierden has done more for him than the Valar ever did because of his, I mean, honestly, because of his pride. So he's going to put it on his, on his boat. He's going to, he's going to let that lead him instead. Uh, and of course the oil Lyre didn't do anything for him the last time he came around. So <laughs> why, why trust it anymore? Um, but yeah, but it's, it's a statement towards, you know, shifting further and further away from, from it being a protectorate of the Valar. Um, yep, and you know, that's you know that is really interesting that you put it that way. I didn't think of it that way because that is a sort of kind of superstitious view of oyo laure. It's mm-hmm. as if the bow itself should have quote unquote done something for him and, and brought the Valar's protection, as opposed to the bow being a sign of whether the Valar were pleased with his work or not, which is a different thing. One is superstitious, mm. and the and the other the other is kind of a reflection where you're kind of looking at the bow as you know. Am I am I in the Valar's grace? Is my is my am I being blessed because my you know what I'm doing is good, uh, which is another way of looking at it that he was clearly maybe not clearly but at least pa- plausibly not looking at it anymore through that lens. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Yeah. So so much for Aldarian. Arendis. Arendis, We have only a couple notes about but, and um, and but, and two long paragraphs in her discussion of men. Right. Oh, no, yes, exactly. So so the first is that basically she continues to do what she's always done, which is hide out in the middle in Emery. Emerie. I think it's Emerie, actually. I, I think so too, yeah. Emerie. <clears throat> so Emerie, we've I think we in the past we've said Emery, but it's Emerie, I believe. So she hides out in Emerie, it's in the center of Numenor. Um, and and uh her while her daughter is gone to court and developing into a woman. Um, and of her influence, we we have one long paragraph, which perhaps I'll read a, a part of. But essentially, mm-hmm. what it boils down to is that she taught her daughter and Kalime that men are not to be trusted, and she has some f- a funny analysis of the men um, of the Numenorean line of the line of Elros. So this is, of course, Elrond's brother that chose a mortal life as a half elf, and her she says. Um, essentially, I'm going to read a few snippets there. She says to her daughter, men in Numenor are half-elves, especially the high men. They are neither the one nor the other. The long life that they were granted deceives them, and they dally in the world, children in mind until age finds them. And then many only forsake play out of doors for play in their houses. They turn their play into great matters and great matters into play. And then she reads through about how basically they're just a bunch of, you know, children um essentially and she says that and 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 she she gives them some what would sound from the lips of someone else like some compliments um 
Men should be gay, they hold, generous in the rich, to the rich, giving away what they do not need. Anger they show only when they become aware, suddenly, that there are other wills in the world besides their own. So she turns what could be a compliment, you know, that they're joyful, they're mm-hmm. generous, and they only and they re- don't show anger. And then she turns it into an insult where, oh, then they only get angry when they're aware that other worlds, wills in the world besides their own. So what she's, like many bitter people, looking through her lens at the person that they're, they're or in her case, the whole gender that she's bitter about, uh, she she sees no reason why they would get angry for any other reason other than the fact that all of a sudden their wills are opposed, mm-hmm. which is very childish. And if that was the truth, then then that would indeed be childish. But I would I would venture to think that there might be some other reasons that the men of Numenor get angry besides just petty opposition to their own wills. And we're in fact shown that. So we're given Arendis's view, which is essentially she despises men and she attempts to teach her daughter to do so. And specifically to resist men um, by sinking, she says, sink your roots into the rock and face the wind, though it blow away all your leaves. And that's a very interesting final line of, of advice because um, mm-hmm. her, her point is that um, as women, we also are daughters of the great. We have wills and courage of our own. Therefore, do not bend on Kalime. Once, once bend a little, and they will bend you further until you are bowed down sink your roots into the rock and face the wind, though it blow away all your leaves. In other words, the leaves are where the, are the glory of a tree. They're, they're what give a tree its beauty. The trunk and branches give it its structure, but the tree gives its beauty. And so what she's admitting is she'd rather have her daughter um, never bend to the will of a man and mm-hmm. simultaneously lose all her beauty. And I'm not just talking about physical beauty here. We're talking about the beauty of the soul and her good character and everything that is good in her. She'd rather have that happen. And just so that you don't do bend to the will of a man. And um, this is deeply, obviously, and I think Tolkien's making it fairly clear from the way he phrases it. This is a deeply uh, sort of a gravely disordered view of, of the relationship between men and women um, caused by Arendis's own bitterness. And it works. To a large extent, Ankali May herself basically imbibes, she drinks the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and and it has the same effect that that famous Kool-Aid had in a way where it kills the life of joy in her um, and, and, and ruins her own relationship mm-hmm. towards men, even her own husband. Okay, I'm, I'm going to, pardon me if I get a little bit too... Um, uh, modern a little ah. too current for today's for, for this here but her line in that in that section that you read you didn't read this line which is for men fashioned numenor men those heroes of old that they sing of of their women we hear less save that they wept when their men were slain it reminds me of a lot of people who talk about tolkien's work of there not being any strong women in it or aren't enough women in it and they haven't actually read it. That, stri- that that has that same tenor to me. That she doesn't really know what she's talking about, because she's never. There are the amount the women we hear we hear a lot of. Still, I mean, not not. That, I mean, we've got Haleth and we've got Varda and we've got um, Melian, Lu- Luthien, Luthien, of course, right? And then uh, um, Turgon's daughter, um, Idril, Idril, and Idril, uh, yes, right, yes. 
Yeah. So uh, there are plenty. And so th- this is like, she want, it's like she wants to be a modern feminist, but it's telling herself lies, right? That they're, they're not strong enough. They're these poor women. That's all we are. We're just these poor women and we've got to do something for ourselves. We've got to stand up strong. We've got to sink our suits into the rock suits, sink our roots into the rock and face the wind, though it blow away all your leaves and just stand there because you can. Like, it's just, uh, it just, it's, it struck me as like, you know, Tolkien's little dig at what even people thought of women then they were what they were saying then it's like no 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 women women are strong they're just strong in a different way so. well and and interestingly enough what is what tolkien's pointing out you know what this passage reminded me of when i read it first mm-hmm. is it reminded me of eowyn's speech to mm-hmm. aragorn before he goes off to the paths of the dead and where he will not let her go with him and he is reminding her that her mm-hmm. place is her responsibility is to her people and so she can't just leave and go off with mm-hmm. Aragorn because of that. And she reads that as you're just putting me down because I'm a woman and my place is here in the hearth. And, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. I'm just supposed to suck it up and then die. When you, when the men have failed, I'm just supposed to die with everybody else. And what, where is that? What, what, what good is that essentially? And she has a kind of point like Tolkien understands that viewpoint, like the bitterness of that viewpoint very well. Um, she has a kind of point in the sense that for a woman with her spirit, with with Eowyn's spirit, mm-hmm. um, this is a hard reality of the world that that um, you know, in general, there's there are these gender roles in such societies. In this case, um, with Arendis, I think you know, her own ruined relationship is what soured her to to men, her ruined relationship with Aldar. And we don't have any hint that she has this attitude towards men before her relationship with Aldarian falls apart. She does. We do have a hint that she won't be told what to do, just like Aldarian won't be told what to do. Um, but, but we don't, I don't think we see that she hates men. Maybe I'm missing something before that, but um, I, don't, I yeah, don't remember. I don't think so either. So what we see here instead is her pointing out some flaws that men in general have. Mm-hmm. And then, which is, and some of which are true. And then her response is, therefore, we should just oppose them and sink our roots in deep. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Men have these flaws, so we need to step in and, and make it right. We need to pursue the good, what is right mm-hmm. for our people. Let, mm-hmm. Let's remember here, she should have been queen. Arendi should have been the queen of Numenor, mm-hmm. and she refused that responsibility. She had a, a responsibility to the entire people of Numenor, who, I might remind her, are half-women. And she... And she um, abandons that um because she's mm-hmm. so bitter with, about her broken relationship with her husband and so so um this is this is like the class one of the classic views of i've been wronged and so my response in being wronged is not and therefore let me go seek something good let me fulfill my other responsibilities let me at least do what is right even if what was wrong was done to me that's not the response the response is it's all about me i'm such a victim and then teach my my daughter how she's going to be a victim unless she just opposes men her entire life, and and that's it's sad. It's and, mm-hmm. and we see how sad it is and how bitter she becomes and how bitter she makes her daughter. The final thing we learn about Arendis is in the very last line of this section, which is that we don't know anything about her what specifically happened with her death, but we know that at the end of her life. She left Amerier at last and journeyed unrecognized and unknown to the haven of Romena. There it seemed she met her fate. 
but only the words, quote, Arendis perished in the water in the year 985, close quote, remain to suggest how it came to pass. So she either threw herself off a cliff into the water or she was in some boating accident or something. So so she died in the water, probably not an accident. She probably did it on purpose. Maybe she sailed off um, into the sunset and was never seen again um, and died at sea. Who knows? But Tolkien never figured it out, never, never concluded what it was. But sadly, she, of course, sad because the sea, remember, is her rival. And mm-hmm. so she dies to her rival. And she doesn't die, probably doesn't die fighting her rival. She probably dies just giving in. And, and Yeah, well, and I think that's true because, yeah, it says right before that, she longed once more for Aldarion. Uh, and it reminds me of how Aldarion, when looking back, he found his most, I think the word was contentment when he was plant- in, in those years after their marriage when he was, or was it before their marriage? I can't remember. Uh, Planting trees. Yeah, betrothal the period, right? Yeah, 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 before the marriage. When when he found the most contentment being with her and planting trees. What we can we we discuss what contentment means, but here she's looking back again and she realizes finally that she was she was neglected by Anne Calame and in bitter loneliness, bitter loneliness. And so through all that she realized, huh, I don't know what I had. And so she just she goes to the ocean and I think she just gives in to that enemy finally and says, you know what? Maybe I should have been with you a long time ago, but this is all I'm going to give you now. And this is after, this is, this is his last voyage, Aldarin's last voyage to middle earth in 985. We don't know exactly how long the marriage was. When does Aldarin die after that? Do we know? Do we know? Do we know he dies? We do, but he dies, he dies 1075. So who knows? He could have been in, in back in middle earth for 20 years right there. We, Tolkien, Tolkien doesn't say. But and Kalime, let's see, I guess we'll know. And Kalime became ruler in the year 1075. So she she did it the year he died. So this is a so this is yeah, this is the end of Erendis. It's kind of a sad end. And then it's one of those notes and jottings that Tolkien put down and didn't really expound on. So Christopher Tolkien can tell us what that parish in water exactly meant, but um, we can guess, like you said, it wasn't a uh, a joyful reunion with the sea. It definitely wasn't a joyful reunion. Um, there is one possibility that I have that is less sad than the others, which is that she has she longs has longed for Aldarion. She rejects she's rejected her her self imposed exile and has um, returned to Romena, hoping to meet him when he comes back. Maybe he doesn't come back for a long time. Likely he doesn't come back for a or, long time. What's that? I was, I was going to say, or she sees him leave and decides she's going to do, she wants to chase after him. Yep. And she perishes in a boating accident. Yeah, but it wouldn't be seeing him leave. It would be like she's waiting for him to return because he's supposed to return soon, it said. Um, yeah. Oh, you're right. That he was soon, he was soon to expected return. to return. So she's leaving <laughs> Amerie to go to Romena to greet him upon his return, essentially. And maybe... He doesn't return on time, which is a, a totally Eldarian thing to do, is not never return on time. And yeah. the happiest reading would be she goes, she she swallows her pride about the sea, sets off in a, one of the boats of the Numenorians, and then it tragically perishes while she's seeking him. So that would be the the, the I guess the most um, you know, and that's leaning heavily into her regret and longing. Mm-hmm. Um um, that that uh, I, we're, I'm going to have to decide for next week's episode which way I'm going to go. <laughs> That's why I said it because I want yeah. I want to hear what, <laughs> where, where you're going to live. Dang! All right. Well, so, I think let's get to the saddest part, which is Ankalime, because boy yeah. howdy, 
you think that like she and her husband, we thought Aldari and Arendis were bad, man, they are. Well, one, we don't know what their marriage was like, but the things they do to each other are impressive. Yes. So to basically to recap, it says explicitly that Ankali May, and this is before she meets her soon-to-be husband, Ankali May basically takes the worst parts from both of her parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she she was she, she was obstinate like her father, and she was coldness and had a sense of personal injury. Like oh, all like the her mother. And she, it's even said that she deliberately comes back to Amerie in a way to sort of torture her mother, in a sense. Like she, Mm -hmm. she enjoys seeing their dislike for each other. She, she kind of revels in the bitterness. Um, She never, she, she goes and does her, a part of her duty by living in, um, on the coast and, you know, with the nobility and she has suitors because she grows to be a beautiful woman and she ignores them all, mm-hmm. um, taking the advice of her mother, I guess. And so, and then she, um, but, and, and she will from time to time seek refuge from the court by returning to the, to a Marier or to other shepherd lands. And, um, but basically she lives the life of a, of a, a, a woman that won't, that, ref, that won't, for example, get um um you know it is the responsibility let me put it this way it is the responsibility as as we've talked about before of a royal line both men and women to continue the royal line like that's one of those um, um responsibilities yeah. when you're when you're part of a monarchy and so in that she's just basically avoiding 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 um aldarian helps her along a little bit by um, changing two laws or customs, depending on which version you're talking about, because he kind of he kind of contradicts himself a little bit um, mm-hmm. in two different passages there. So the first is that basically um, he it allows he, he made it a law that the eldest child of the king becomes the next monarch, whether it's a woman or not. But prior to this, it couldn't have been a woman. But so he's opening up the her to rule Numenor, even though even if even if um, there's you know. Even though I should say there's no um, <clears throat> male heir that he and Arendis have, mm-hmm. so that's the first one, the law that was changed. And I'm trying to remember the second one here. Oh yes, that they, uh, they had to mention it had to be from the line of Elros that there there could mm-hmm. not be. Um, and it's so it's said that Aldarian did this because he um, he was. Uh, dismayed essentially by the fact that his uh wife was from not from the line of elros and he saw the problem in that uh, yeah i had this highlighted this ordinance arose directly from aldarian's disastrous marriage to erendis and his reflections upon it for she was not of the line of elros and had a lesser lifespan and he believed that therein lay the root of all their troubles so yeah yeah elros he's a better man (laughs) <laughs> i don't know about that unlike okay so let's talk about Anne kalime and the sirs and her whole uh what is it halitan i think was who she yes halitan right? no, no no that was the father so, halakar halakar son of halitan yeah so remember halitan is yeah. is uh aldarian's cousin and he is the regent mm-hmm. when aldarian aldarian does the unprecedented i'm i'm king and now i'm leaving for middle earth um and they have to have a regent rule in his place. Uh, the council's at wit's end, but they choose his cousin, 
uh, Halatan. And uh, so Halatan's son, Halakar, it turns out, seeks out Ankali May in her refuge, which she chose for a number of years to just go live unknown or in disguise, essentially. Um, she even Princess, different... Princess Shepherdess? Yes. He called her? Uh-huh. And... Uh, and so he he takes a name, different name too. She na- had named herself Emerwin, uh, and he names himself Mamondiel. And they uh, <clears throat> and they meet. She doesn't know that it's that he's um, from um, Halak Hal- um, sorry Halatan's line. Halakar's son. Halatan. Yes, right. Halatan. He is Halakar. Hal- he's the son of Halatan. Yeah, his name is Halakar, the son of Halatan, even though he was called Mamondiel. Right, so he yes. he basically woos her um, uh, without revealing who he really is, and and then she um, when she finds out, and then he declares his love for her, and when he finds out, she finds out, she rebuffs him um, at first, and then there's a bunch of sort of different versions of how they end up getting married, um, but most of them involve her being spiteful, and so there's a there's just this reality here where essentially most of the motivation that she has from here on out has much to do with hate and spite, um, hatred and spite and dislike. I mean, she basically, uh, her story, the fin- the end of her story becomes one of bitterness and she lives out her life essentially in opposition to her husband. They have one son that she begrudges him and then she lives out her life in opposition. And I quote, and it's interesting. She pre- Go ahead. She, but she pursued Halakar with hatred afterwards. Okay, pursued with hatred. <laughs> that that's that's, um, that's pretty rough. Didn't didn't uh, oh the dream pursued him? Yeah, <clears throat> and and so why why would they get married? And and uh, it's not clear in here exactly why they make the point that they were married in the end. In one version, it appears that the persistence of Halakar in his suit, despite her rejection of him and the urging of the council that she choose a husband for the quiet of the realm, led to their marriage. Um, but elsewhere, it is said that she un- remained unmarried so long that her cousin Soranto, relying on the provision of the new law, called upon her to surrender the airship, and then she and that she then married Halakar in order to spite Soranto. I like that story better. That seems more in line with hers. That she's. Um, she's making her own decision about when she's going to marry because she's so spiteful. And so her whole marriage is a, is a motion of spite as well. Um, just to spite Sorrento. So it, it, the damage that she can do to him by not giving him, uh, cause Sorrento would have been the, I believe he was the next in line after her. Right. Uh, closest, and so if closest. she didn't, so if she didn't have a, uh, an, any offspring, he would have been King after her. Um, Correct. And um, so whichever version, though, uh, as far as the reason goes for her marriage, it says, however this may be, the story is clear, and Kalame did not desire love, nor did she wish for a son. And she Mm -hmm. said, quote, must I become like Queen Almarion and dote upon him? Her life with Halakar was unhappy, and she begrudged him her son Anarion, and there was grief between them thereafter. So Strife. Strife strife between them, yes. Oh, sorry. You said grief. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to read this last this last paragraph of this section, just because it it's a nice little story that encapsulates what Halakar and and uh, and Ankali oh, right. did for each other. The fake wedding feast, right? So yeah, so for Ankalame would let none of her women wed, and although for fear of her most were restrained, they came from the country about and had lovers whom they wished to marry, 
But Halicar, in secret, arranged for them to be wedded. And he declared that he would give a last feast at his own house. Again, interesting, at his own house, because he had a separate house from Ancalime. Before sure. he left it, to this feast, he invited Ancalime, saying it was the house of his kindred, and that he should be given a farewell of courtesy. And Kalime came, attended by all her women, for she did not care to be waited on men, which we already knew. She found the house all lit and arrayed, for, arrayed as for a great feast, and men of the household attired in garlands as for their weddings, and each with another garland in his hands for a bride. Come, said Halicar, the weddings are prepared and the bride chamber is ready. But since it cannot be thought that we should ask the lady on Kalime, king's heir, to lie with a farm steward, then alas, she must sleep alone tonight. And then Kalime perforce remained there, for it was too far to ride back, nor would she go unintended. Neither men nor women hid their smiles. I love that. Neither, they did not hide their smiles. Like she was, they were happy regardless. I don't know if that means they were, um, they were spiting her there by smiling at her, or that's that definitely what so she thought. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That's what she thought. That was how she read it. And then Kalime would not come to the feast, but lay abed, listening to the laughter far off and thinking it aimed at herself. Right. And it, it's, it's so, so interesting that, I mean, you see here the full twisting of her mind, right? Because mm -hmm. even the fact that there's this massive wedding with multiple grooms and brides, that can't possibly, it all has to be about her. her. It can't mm -hmm. possibly be that they're mm -hmm. joyful and laughing because they're together and it's a, a joyous occasion. Oh, no, it has to be they're mocking her. This is what laughter has become to her. And um, for those who are who are paying attention carefully, will have seen the full the, the the insult come full circle to Ancalime. So, if you remember in the previous reading on Aldarian's return, the final break between him and his wife, he and his wife Arendis, was when he comes to his house and she tells him that she can't; he has to sleep in a separate room. And, and that, you know, they're married, but they're going to sleep apart, which is so the marriage bed is no longer there. And so she essentially, she insults him by doing so, um, by even in his own home, not letting him sleep in, his, in the marriage bed. And, um, and so now in the next generation, her son-in-law, Alucar, has, it does the same thing to her daughter, Ankali May, by... And even points mm -hmm. out, you can't sleep with a farm steward. He's talking about himself. You can't sleep with a farm steward. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. which he's which he's insulting. He's, he's pokey put it himself that way because that's what he, you know. He's he's um she she wants him to be to control him in in that regard. So you can't sleep with a farm steward. So you'll have to sleep by yourself. So he's essentially he is insulting her that there. Um, this is like this is I don't know if this feels like Game of Thrones to me. This is like a scene from yep. Game of Thrones. Like it's very yep. like this is, this is hardcore stuff. Um, yep. I'm going to really struggle. I got to get the scene into the the what I'm going to be talking about next. next week. So <laughs> it'll be yeah. there. It'll be there. It'll be interesting. So anyway, suffice it to say, a very unhappy tale. Perhaps not as mm -hmm. tragically um, Oedipal as the as as the uh, tale of Tour, but. Nevertheless, uh, uh, say, say, say to our Turin. Well, I mean, I guess Turin, son of Tuar, right? <laughs> so, but the same, yeah, yeah the son of Turin, right? Tuar, Tuar, uh, Turin, yeah. Turin, Bar. Now I've got it in my head. So, not as tragic, <laughs> not quite as, as epically tragic as that, but but um, what it lacks in epic quality with um, the curse of dragons and and a terrible Oedipal fate, 
it makes up for in sheer bitterness because the 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 hatred and bitterness displayed by married couples to each other in this tale is is depressing rather (laughs) it's it's very sad yeah yeah uh and my goal i think in next week is i'm going to try and give it a happy ending but stay true to the word so i i know i know where i want it to end i do i know exactly where where, where the, the i know the last scene of the last episode what it needs to be. I just, I'm not exactly sure how to get there. So I'll, okay. I'll try and figure that out over the you next got week. one week, sir. Oh, uh, well, yeah, the first five five seasons aren't so bad. The last one's going to be rough, but I know where we're going. Uh, okay. I think that's it. I, I wanted to say one other thing that I thought was funny because I went through the notes and, and the notes are scattered, you know, the, the, the footnotes for this story are scattered throughout. But I was just glancing at the footnotes here and um, it's essentially the longest footnote in here is uh philological it's all about the difference between the elven tongues and everything so it doesn't matter about the characters or the history we're like we're talking about how who who spoke adonaic and who spoke cinderin and who did they ever learn all that sort of stuff and i just love that it's the longest footnote and is just about the language it's very (laughs) tolkien-esque very true to form makes sense uh all right guys that's it we're going to get into our extended podcast we do have a couple questions we're going to deal with uh we'll talk more about galadriel and uh, uh, Celeborn and Aldarion, maybe what happened between them. So, guys, we'll see you on the other side. Join us there by going to the slash member where you can get. I got, I got to put the little link up on YouTube. There it is. The slash member where you can get, uh, get the extended podcast. You get it in your podcast app and you can get it in YouTube. And yeah, okay. So, let me ask, let, let me ask this. I don't think I'm going to get any feedback on this, but. I could like I don't want to use Patreon for memberships because I don't like putting putting uh revenue and putting like the future of this podcast in the hands of another company. Right. That's why it's all done through the websites. And since my day job is building websites, I've been doing it for 25 years. Uh I can I can do that, right? Uh but I know that some people would probably join because it's so much easier on Patreon just to go, oh, I'm already a Patreon member, click and done. So if I do use Patreon because they take more that the percentages are far higher too, right? They take a higher percentage of, of your monthly revenue and have to make it like, instead of four bucks, I'd have to make it five bucks. However, I'm interested, those of you listening on YouTube, or you can send me an email, Jonathan at the If you think Patreon is a good idea for us, should we just also do Patreon? Cause I could hook it up too. I can hook it up into discord and, and make it all work so that everybody can get in, just make it a little bit, little easier for people to join. I could try that. But then again, I don't want to put my hands in the hands of Patreon because uh, it's not, I'd, I'd, I'd rather be in control. Anyway, that's for all very, you guys, all, very Aldarian and Arendis of you, being in control. I just don't trust these companies that can shut people down for saying something they don't like. I'm with you on that. Um, it's so, a, it's a, it's a funny world out there in the world of Patreon these days. Yeah. But off to our sur- subscriber portion. So to everyone else, goodbye for you, letters. <laughs>